everybody. Welcome back to the PFN Scouting Podcast. Your ears do not deceive you. Your eyes do not deceive you. We are back, but we are back only once per week. Two was a little bit much, at least for right now. We might go back to two eventually, but one is better from a timing perspective right now. We will still be doing the mailbags. We will still be doing prospect previews. And today, we're going to talk about some of the better games in college football this week. Oregon, Washington, USC, Notre Dame, Miami, UNC, UCLA versus Oregon State. That is correct. You have um, an ACC matchup, and then you have a bunch of Pac-12 games because the Pac-12 in its final year of existence is the most exciting part of college football. How ironic is that? Now, before we do any of that, I have to ask Ian, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. And I hope you are as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. The final year of the Pac-12's existence, they are going out strong. I mean, it's it's the funnest conference, I think, from the quarterback standpoint. But then also, you know, you've got complete teams like Washington and Oregon who really could challenge uh, for legitimate, you know, you know, title chances down the road so i think you know these teams are very exciting and then ucla oregon state a few of the more underrated teams who they've had their losses but you know some talent is there right so i'm very excited to see how they perform and i feel like you know i was preparing for this week and looking at these games and it's not an official QB checkpoint episode, but it feels like an unofficial one because there are some QB storylines that are kind of tracking into this week uh, for multiple games. Washington, Oregon is definitely one of them. But I feel like we have to rehash before we get started. I feel like we got to rehash on the Drake May, Caleb Williams discussion because that's something that we've talked about numerous times this year. And heading into the year, we were kind of like they're one A and one B. It's really close. And then I remember the last QB checkpoint we were talking, and we both kind of agreed. Drake May is still in the conversation, but the weekly lapses in decision-making were the biggest thing working against him. And then now he comes out with this crazy good performance against Syracuse where he's throwing with anticipation, managing the pocket, you know, and just being really stable as a pocket operator, but also showing how he has the talent to elevate himself within that role. And then Caleb Williams got the win against Arizona, but was a little more inaccurate, looked a little bit more unsteady in the pocket. And now both guys have really big matchups coming up this week. What are the implications here for that QB one discussion in, in your eyes? Because to me, it feels like I was a little bit higher on Drake May to start the year. He was my one A to one B for Williams. Talking about him last time, I was like, all right, Williams has the edge for now, right? But now it looks like they might be trending back the other way. What do we make of this QB one discussion? We we just we have to stack performances together. And I think that's the biggest thing for Drake May is for the rest of ACC play. He's got to be lights out. The decision making has to look better. And if you can get better as the season goes, that's going to be big for him because this is a new offensive coordinator. It's a new offense that he is operating in. So I do think that there could have been a little bit of growing pains when, when it comes to being in a new offense. It is not easy to just go into that and be 100% the way that you were in the offense that you knew and could operate in your sleep. So I think that that's big. If he can continue to stack performances together, it could be huge for him. And this will probably be Caleb Williams' toughest test, right? I think so. I mean, Notre Dame's defense, man, they've got because here's the thing with Caleb Williams, right? I mean, you force him to hold the ball a little bit too long, right? And he can work really well in those scenarios. But Notre Dame is athletic on the defensive line. Howard Cross, the third, has been very good so far this year. One of those sawed off interior defensive linemen. He's got five tackles for loss and one and a half sacks in just the past two games. So this guy is wreaking havoc on those interior blockers. And then Javante Jean-Baptiste on the edge is also a very powerful athletic rusher. And then what I'm more intrigued to see is 
on the outside in the secondary, right? I mean, Benjamin Warson, we're talking about him as a potential first-round prospect in 2025. Cam Hart on the other side is 6'2", 205, really explosive, really athletic. Uh, and then you got Thomas Harper in the slot, who's been really good this year. I think physical, fluid, uh, very uh, disciplined with his technique, and he played really well against Marvin Harrison Jr., a limiting separation there. And USC's got a good wide receiver core. You know, they got Brendan Rice, who's kind of that size boundary threat. They got Mario Williams, Dorian Singer, uh, but Taj Washington, I think, as well. But, you know, Notre Dame is athletic. They're big. They're physical. I don't know how that rush coverage combination is going to impact Caleb Williams because he was unsteady last week. So for me, you know, I want to see him rebound for sure. But I think Notre Dame is a really good test because at all three levels of the defense, they've got legitimate talent and they play into each other. So that'll be the biggest thing for Williams is to not get on not get rattled by that i think because we have seen especially last week i think was the biggest was the biggest example you know he's so good at navigating through chaos and playing in the off structure you know that outer structure style but it can be a little uncontrolled at times and defenses defenses that have the talent can take advantage of that yes so i wanted to ask you i mean obviously notre dame really tough loss last week against louisville um had the tough loss to Ohio State. Do you think that Sam Hartman and this offense can have a little bit of a get-right game against a USC defense that looks to be um, like saloon doors for opposing offenses? And and I think that when we look at Caleb Williams and this USC team just as a whole, I think that that will be with the takeaway from this season in particular. And it, it's something that has been prevalent in Lincoln Riley coach teams forever uh, the lack of of any sort of defensive performance whatsoever but I think that that it's really stark this year how good that offense is compared to how bad that defense is and to have to keep up in track meets week in and week out yes I do think that things are a little bit easier for Caleb Williams in that offense I do think that he holds the ball way too long sometimes and just looks to create when things are open underneath and he should just take the throw that is given to him. But I do think that when you consistently have to keep up in these track meets, it, it puts you at a level to where you have to create, you have to make big plays, you have to score all of the time. And for him to do that while still being a really great decision maker overall, even if the, the process is a little bit slow, I think that that's what I like most about Williams. But on the flip side here, can Sam Hartman have his statement game of the year? Because I think that he's played really well in a couple games this year. Um, but that Ohio State game, a little bit lacks days goal with the passing offense overall. And then they also have a seam who is one of, if not, you know, the best runners in the entire landscape of college football. So I think that this is a really good matchup or test for Caleb Williams because on the other side of the ball, that Notre Dame offense is going to score points. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I hopefully Notre Dame will have a chance to play ball control a little bit. Yeah, obviously, you know, you mentioned having to play in those track meets, right? I think Caleb Williams gets put under the microscope a little bit sometimes because he has so many pass attempts. You know, he's always trying to stay ahead of the curve. And like you said, like you mentioned, you know, I think that's an, an element of appeal for him is that he's always able to keep his team ahead. You know, it's it's like the Miami Dolphins out there, right? You know, scoring 40, 50, just scoring more than the other guy. It's not a two-way game for USC because Alex Grinch, unfortunately, that defense has struggled to stay consistent. And they have some talent too. You know, they got guys like, 
uh, Bird on the ed- on the edge rush. They got Kalen Bullock at safety, mm-hmm. who I think is a really good center fielder. But they're really light at the second level, really light in the third level too. And I think that that can impact them sometimes. So Audric Estime in particular, you know, you saw Notre Dame's rushing run blocking last week. Uh, you know, their pass protection was a little bit shaky against Louisville. Louisville has Ashton Jalot on the edge, who was really good. He generated pressure from interior alignments too. But Joe Alt, Blake Fisher, those guys are people movers in the run game, for real. And I think Audric Estime, uh, great contact balance, leg churn, but good vision in between the tackles too, the explosiveness to steer through gaps. I mean, you're looking at a combination where I, I think as long as Notre Dame isn't, you know, as long as it's not, not getting away from them, right? Like if they're down by seven, if it's that close game script, then you can keep churning away, chugging along and maintain a balanced offense. And So I think that's going to be tough for USC to get away from. So we'll see. Uh, but I think Sam Hartman, to your point too, could this be a statement game for him? I say yes. I think um, as a prospect, he's never going to be that early round guy. He just doesn't have the tools yeah. to. And he's going to be a 25-year-old rookie. But, you know, Sam Hartman, things that have stood out on his film from day one for years now, you know, the competitive toughness, the grit. We mentioned his leadership, right? You know, that interview where he's you know checking on Riley Leonard, right? This guy is a leader. He's a guy that you want in your locker room. But I think he's going to show against this USC defense because this USC defense has been fairly you know they've been exposed by passing attacks that have that kind of firepower uh mitchell evans you know they got Jaden thomas too so chris tyree in the slot and then sam hartman who is really a poised tough pocket navigator really good situational placement uh so i think those traits will be on display uh is he gonna be an early round pick is this gonna be a game that vaults him into the round one conversation no because he just doesn't have the tools to get there but if you're thinking about a backup a guy who could be a safety blanket at the next level I think this is a great opportunity for him to remind people that he is in that conversation. And speaking of vaulting into the first round, we are going to get into the Oregon-Washington game. Two quarterbacks who are going to be vying for first-round draft capital by the time April rolls around. And thank you, thank you, thank you for putting this game at 3.30 Eastern, which means it will be at 8.30 p.m. Eastern or p.m. my time. And I will be staying up and I will be watching every single second of this football game. I am so excited to get a live viewing of Washington specifically against a really good football team. Because Washington, the Pac-12 in general, they play a ton of late games and I get it the next day. I get to rewatch it. I had it recorded or I get to see it on on huddle and with the all 22. But I get to see it live. Close, personal. I am so excited to see this quarterback matchup between Bo Nix and Michael Penix because these are two guys who one of them for sure has the physical traits to be a a first-round player, and the other one is playing like the best quarterback in college football right now for my money, and that's including Caleb Williams at USC. I think that Penix has just been the, the absolute definition of efficiency this year. I think that the, the left-handed motion, it, it's absolutely disgusting. It, it's vile. It it hurts my senses in every single way. But that downfield accuracy, the downfield ball placement is unbelievable. He has the, the ability to create velocity, even though his motion is a little bit wonky. And, and I really, really enjoy how much he trusts his playmakers because he's got a bunch of them, Jalen McMillan, McMillan and... Uh, Romo Duns are are two guys who can go out and make really, really special plays, and he allows them to do that. And then you have Bo Nix on the other side, who is just, uh, again, another offensive efficiency monster in that Oregon offense. 
And we do have to, I think, try to separate the offense from Knicks and what he's able to do independent of what that offense asks him to do. It's very much like Justin Herbert, where, you know, it's a, a guy who's six foot five, 240 pounds. He can move. He's got a rocket launcher as an arm, and he throws 60% of his, of his passes at, at or behind the line of scrimmage. And that's just what the Oregon offense is overall. It's what it's always been. I think that when push comes to shove, you're going to see Bo Nix either show us in this game that he is a legit first-round guy or when push comes to shove, he's going to fold back into kind of more of what we saw when he was at Auburn when we didn't think that he was a uh, a draftable football player for the most part. So I'm most excited to see how he performs against this Washington defense. What are you looking for in this game? Yeah, well, I think you hit it right on the head with Bo Nix. I mean, when he was playing at Auburn, he was always under pressure, right? In those big SEC games, you know, needing to bring his team back. And Auburn just wasn't as equipped to come come back in those situations. And mm-hmm. he had the talent, obviously, to make those eye-catching plays. But we saw so many times how it just collapsed and it just became completely chaotic, right? And, you know, he kind of became a punching bag for that, right? You know, oh, there's Bo Nix doing it again. He's got mm-hmm. the talent for sure. He needed more discipline. He needed more more time to kind of mature and he's done that at Oregon and we've seen you know how that high-end talent has kind of yielded greater efficiency for that offense but this year in particular we haven't seen a game really Texas Tech maybe Oregon won 38 30 but we haven't seen too many games you mentioned it with Caleb Williams you know staying one step ahead of the other team you know not it's not a two-way game just outscoring your opponent And I don't think we've seen a game so far quite like this for Bo Nix, where the other side has all the firepower. Michael Penix Jr., uh, McMillan, Roma Dunst, Jalen Polk as well, too. Uh, So they've got all the firepower, tons of weapons. And Bo Nix is going to have to... The Oregon defense, I think, can give them pressure, right? Especially with Penix. Not an elite creator in the pocket. And I think his... Not his kryptonite, but something that could impact him. you got Brandon Dorless. You've got Jordan Birch. Uh, Dorless is 6'3", 280, Birch is 6'6", 290, two guys yeah. who are very, very powerful, right? Guys that can be used from different alignments. You can swing them across the front, you know, loopers, stunters, and they can just push the pocket and really take away space for Penix to work. Now, Penix is decisive. He's a very good field processor, and he's very, very decisive and aggressive when it comes to taking those calculated risks, like we mentioned. So I don't think it's going to stall out the offense. I think, by and large, you've got Kyrie Jackson at corner, too. But I do think, by and large, the amount of talent in that Washington passing attack is going to win more often than not. And they're going to be able to score points. So the question for Bo Nix in this game is, can you keep up with that? Because there's going to be pressure on you, right? There's going to be pressure. At some point, I feel like you're going to have to bring this Oregon team back, keep them in the hunt. And this is a game with massive implications. I mean, both these teams are undefeated. USC looks beatable with that defense right now. So you're looking at these two teams. These might be the two top contenders for that Pac-12 title. Ken Bo Nix, we've seen him operate efficiently. We've seen him make really, really impressive plays out of structure, off script. But can he, through four quarters, lead his team to a victory over another high-powered offense? Can he be the guy who gets them over the hump? I feel like that's one of the few remaining questions that we've seen from Bo Nix. And I'm very excited to see if we get it because there are going to be plays where he's going to have to re- go through progressions, where he's going to be have, he's going to have to be a little more autonomous beyond those line of scrimmage throws. Can he do that? I think we're still waiting for a decisive answer. I think he can, but the pressure element just adds a whole new level of complication to it. So I'm excited to see what happens. 
Yeah, I'm really interested in this game because neither team has really played a close game yet. Uh, yep. I know that Washington and uh, Arizona ended up being a seven-point game, but that game wasn't quite as close as the final score might have suggested. Uh, when I look at it, I'm also excited to see somebody like Dylan Johnson, who I didn't cover because I covered the the SEC side of things for PFN, um, but saw a lot of him in that Mississippi State offense last year. Uh, before he transferred out and he has been going absolutely nuts for Washington. So that's another name to watch. I, I don't really enjoy running backs all that much. As you guys know that it's not really my thing. Uh, they don't really matter, but when you can find one that's a little bit talented and, and you can take them on day three, that's what I'm looking for in a running back. And, and that's the the type of dude that you can get with Dylan Johnson. I also want to bring up Jalen McMillan. Reports are that he is going to be back and he's going to be ready for this game. He hasn't played since week three, which is going to be huge for Washington. And then also Oduns, um, who took a big shot late in the game last week against Arizona. First of all, Arizona keeping the game close against USC and Washington. Shout out to Arizona. Um, but he is going to be all right as well, according to reports. So that game is probably, I mean, it, that that one's got to be the, the most fun one to watch this entire week. But I think that there is a prospect matchup that I am more excited for heading into this week. And we're going to skip on the sheet here. We're going to skip the Miami and UNC game real quick because I want to talk about UCLA versus Oregon State. I want to talk about Already these done. Oregon State. I want you to talk about these Oregon yes, State offensive linemen, offensive tackles. Against Latu. Is it Layatu? Is it Layatu? Is that how I you think say it's Latu Layatu Latu, which is amazing. I love That's the like alliteration. And Ali sure. has to be going absolutely <laughs> nuts for that alliteration. Um but Layatu Latu has a lot of fans in the defensive line community on Twitter. It's a it's a big community of guys who who just really kind of focus on pass rushers and offensive linemen. Um, and those, the, the defensive line specific guys seem to really enjoy Latu's game. I like what I've seen from Latu so far. He's somebody who is jumping up in our board as well at PFN, but he has an unbelievable test this week against Oregon state. Talk to us about your boy at right tackle. Yeah. So first off, Lyo to Latu. I do want to, I do want to mention him because we started out a little bit lower on him. And I think mm -hmm. part of that is because trace based i don't know if he quite has elite burst off the line elite twitch i do think he has good ankle flexion and flexibility for his size but this year we've really seen him you know and he was a really good pass rusher last year but he's taken it to another level this year and he's arguably i think one of the most ruthless advanced technicians in this edge class and at the end of the day that's a sustainable business model for success at the nfl level so you know i think when we're when we get caught up in this traits based analysis sometimes we get tunnel vision on certain traits you know explosiveness bend balance and leverage hand usage motor uh, but we don't always talk about we don't always give enough credit when prospects are able to multitask and mix those traits together you know and succeed and operate efficiently because of that you see lots who bend around the edge while he's swap you know swiping the outside hand you know ripping pass right you know stacking combos while he's sinking under and maintaining proper leverage and then the pursuit speed as well the finishing ability i think you know lots is really just a ruthless technician who's got that finishing ability and he's proven it but he has a very tough test in oregon state's right tackle to fuaga now you know i think he might not go up against him every single down we got joshua gray at left tackle on the other side so lots could be moving around a little bit but 
I'm willing to bet there's going to be more than a few reps where they are going to meet each other. And I'm very excited to see that. I mean, you you know, Dalton, I've been a big fan of Fuaga. You know, I mentioned him in one of our mailbag posts, I think, my updated top top uh, 250. Fuaga cracked my top 15. I'm very, very high on the talent that he has. And I think, you know, of the offensive tackles in this class, it's a very strong class. I think we really need to start talking about Fuaga more as a round one talent because that is where he grades for me. That's where I think he's worth uh, six foot six, 330 pounds. Um, very good athlete. I mean, you know, forget the pass blocking, one of the funnest run blocking tackles that I've seen. You know, he's so nimble, so athletic in, in space. He covers so much range, and then he's able to channel power at contact, stay square with his opponents. The angle awareness is really strong there. But pass protection, I think that's where he really, you know, some of his highest level reps come into play because you're looking at a six foot six, three thirty pound guy who just darts out of his stance i mean he he teleports out of his stance very nimble very light on his feet very but very good knee bend too i think the flexibility is there i think the ability to stay square with his opponents shows up in pass protection flashing his hands and, and combating extensions and then having the anchor strength to stall out power rushes too i mean i think all of that is there for him the recovery capacity the hinge flexibility you know i just go down the checklist and talis fuaga for me you know more than most of the tackles in this class i'm saying there's not much that this guy lacks. And I think this is going to be a really good test for him because you're looking at Talise Fuaga, a, I think a superlative physical talent who also has really good hand usage, really good discipline and patience with his technique going up against the guy in Lyo Tulatu, who is the peak of pass rushing execution in this class. This is a guy who's going to work with what he's given. He's not going to go into, you know, he's not going to go into, you know, a predictable rhythm. You know, he's going to take the information that he has and he is going to exploit whatever he can. And I think that's going to be really fun. Can Talise Fuaga get the upper hand against this ruthless technician or will Latu be able to kind of supersede the physical traits there? Because I do think Fuaga is a little bit more athletic if we're talking about a trench matchup, but you're just looking at two Titans going at it. And I think this is going to be such a fun matchup from a prospect standpoint. I'm getting giddy just thinking about it. Um, but yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm very excited to see. It could be a stock up moment for whoever comes up on top. Me personally, I'm ex I'm expecting back and forth. I'm expecting wins and losses from both sides, but it's there's going to be fireworks. It's like when an unstoppable force uh, meets an immovable object. So it's going to be fun. I always like watching matchups like this at the college level um, because especially when it comes to pass rushers and pass protectors, because I like to see the cat and mouse game. You'll see a, a lot of times from the top rushers, especially guys who are technicians like Latu is, is, you know, for the first two and a half, three quarters, they're kind of feeling out their opponent. They're, they're kind of seeing what they might be able to get away with in the fourth quarter, trying to set guys up for moves later in games. And then in that fourth quarter, bam, that's when you hit him with the spin or, or that's when you hit him with the ghost. That's when you hit him with the counter. I'm really interested to see if that kind of cat and mouse game is what we see where we see Fuaga kind of take the first three quarters and then Latu in the fourth quarter of a close game get, you know, a sack and a half or, or a sack and a couple of pressures. Because at the end of the day, I, I do think when we look at edge protection and, and edge rushers, I mean, just look at the top edge rushers in the NFL. Miles Garrett, T.J. Watt, Micah Parsons, Max Crosby, Nick Bosa, um, Joey Bosa. Um, <laughs> these are, are are the top guys, and they are all freak athletes in their own way. Even guys like T.J. Watt, who people don't think of as you know physical specimens, they still are. T.J. Watt is still one of the best athletes in professional football. He's the 1% of the 1%. 
he's not the 0% or the 0.1% like TJ Watt or Michael Parsons are, but he is that technician. He plays with his pants on fire and he's able to make up the difference with that. I look at, at Latu and I think if he's going to be that high level pass rusher at the next level, he's got to turn into Matthew Judon. He's got to turn into um, Cam Jordan, somebody who is an absolute technician at the highest level, but also is able to add that power element to his game as well. Because at 265 pounds, he might be just a little bit light in the arse for that in the long run. So you want to see him maybe get a little bit stronger at the next level and really be able to lean on that power because the NFL today is such a game that is built around speed. It's quarterbacks getting the ball out of their hands in two and a half to three seconds consistently underneath these guys are professional processors. They're getting the ball out. He's got to be able to win in that window. And when you don't have that insane natural burst, you either have to have the requisite amount of burst to win around the edge and be an elite jump snapper which can be dangerous when it comes to dead ball penalties. So Mm -hmm. I think that you, this will be a great game to watch from Latu because you're going to see that high level technical ability matched with his athleticism. If it is enough to win that matchup against Fuaga. And, And that's why I am so excited about this game because it is two guys who might be top 25 players in this class going after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's going to be, you know, you mentioned it, applying that power, right? Fuaga is 330 pounds. Again, the anchor strength, I think, is one of the stronger parts of his game, not just, you know, the anchor strength, too, but also very rarely, I think, keeps his chest open. You know, I think he's very good at tightening his torso when he needs to, you know, flashing it and then kind of manipulating rushers into committing and then kind of controlling the rep from there. So he's very good at doing that. But then at the same time, too, you know, he's very good at aligning his base beneath him after initial power. Some tackles get a little bit too tall, a little bit too far back on their skates. And that's when the balance can really start to erode. But Talise Fuaga, for me, the knee bend is there. The proper leveraging, the center of gravity is very stable, even when he's adjusting his hip alignment, even when he's kind of recovering. So, you know, I think for lots who you're going to have to kind of get him committing one way a little bit. You're going to have to manipulate the attack angles. You're going to have to manipulate those tendencies and maybe create a tendency and then stray from it, right? You're going to have to get one step ahead of him somehow from a strategic standpoint, because I don't know if he quite has the raw power uh, to get past that 330 pound block. But that's the thing. If you can apply it properly, you know, at the right time, then there is a way to do that. So it's going to be a chess match. It's going to be a great battle. And I think two guys who definitely have the tools, like you said, uh, for me, Fuaga is already in that round one conversation and Latu is trending up fast. So I think it's going to be a must watch from a prospect standpoint. The last game that we're going to talk about is an ACC matchup. And I think what I'm most excited about, excited for in this game I think it has to be the matchup between Cameron Kitchens and Drake May. Is Cameron Kitchens going to be able to go Drake May into the Bozo moment that, you know, we have seen a a few times from Drake May. Drake May played unbelievably well last week. And, you know, the the Miami Hurricane also have Tyler Van Dyke, who is a a quarterback that we could probably talk about in that day three to to undrafted range, but has shown a little bit of promise so far this year. I think the the biggest thing for me in this game is you have that safety duo and and James Williams, maybe not as highly sought after now. 
somebody who we liked in the summer because of, you know, that six foot five, 200 mm-hmm. and, you know, 25, 230 pound frame freak athlete. Um, probably a linebacker at the next level if I had to really guess and if, if I had to really project, you know, that that safety that plays linebacker um, at the NFL level. But what I'm really excited about is the chess match between Drake May and Cameron Kitchens because Kitchens is so good coming downhill as somebody in coverage and against the run. But playing with the ball in front of him is really his strength, in my opinion. And, and I think that this could be a really big game for, you know, playing a little bit slow and then goading Drake May into a pass that he's going to click and close on and take the other way. So that's what I'm most excited about in this game. Have you gotten your eyes on Leonard Taylor much at all this year? Because he's not somebody that I have kept up with so far this year, but he's somebody who we were excited about coming into the season. Yeah. Taylor is a guy who I think, you know, the traits are all there. He, I think he's still trending up on the consistency side for sure. Um, you know, when it comes to applying pass rush moves and using his hands consistently, but two, three things that are really there for him. I mean, six, three, 300, he's built extremely lean. I mean, I, you rarely see a 300 pound guy look like he does. You know, sometimes he looks like an edge rusher because he's so compact. Um, and he's very well leveraged too. You know, he's very good at getting under his opponent's pads. He's explosive. I mean, I think that goes without saying very good athlete, but I really like how quickly he processes attack angles at the, you know, on the interior, the blocking angles. He's very good at getting an angle advantage inside, right? And he's flexible. You know, he can, he can pry through blocks. I think he's still building beyond that physical skill set, but he's another guy who's kind of in that early round conversation on the DT group because he has those physical tools and because he's so explosive, he's strong, he's really lean, really compact and well-built. And I think that prototype is really going to be appealing for NFL teams who are searching for that disruptor mold. You know, there's a few guys in this class that really fit that well-leveraged disruptor mold, right? Jerzon Newton is the, is the headliner, Michael Hall Jr., um, guys like Byron Murphy, the second from Texas too. But I think Leonard Taylor, the third is in that conversation is one of those guys. I don't know if he separated himself yet, but there have been flashes still. So, you know, I think against North Carolina, you know, they've got William Barnes at guard. They've got Corey Gaynor at center. I believe guys who are, you know, Gaynor's a veteran, right? Barnes is powerful, but I don't think any of these guys are superseding physical talents against Taylor. I think Taylor has the explosiveness and the strength to get past them and the speed to power too. You know, that's another element. He's very energized after contact with his leg drive. So he's a guy that I'll be watching for sure. I think that entire Miami defense is very fun. You know, you mentioned James Williams. I think that, that, you know, safety linebacker hybrid, that Rover role is definitely going to be for him in the next level. I think one thing that he really stood out with in the summer was run support. I mean, he's explosive. The dude is a sledgehammer at contact if he hits you head on. Right. So I did think he was pretty good at managing space on the back end better than I expected for a guy of his size, but you know, probably a Rover at the next level. And then Cameron Kitchens. I mean, again, you mentioned it. Um, he's just so good at managing space. I think the fluidity, the the pedal efficiency for him and the processing ability to position himself between routes and then jump passes, uh, the center field, center field range as well uh, is there, the ball hawking ability. So all things that, you know, Drake May, you know, he's a guy who I think you can argue that Drake May, you know, is still in the QB1 conversation. We mentioned it earlier, but he's a guy who has been caught slipping a few times this year. You know, just every game it's, you know, aside from the Syracuse game last year, it's been one or two lapses that have created a turnover for the opposing defense. And this game against Tyler Van Dyke and that Miami offense that's gearing up again this year, you know, it could be a one score game and that could be the difference. So 
Drake May cannot get caught slipping. You know, he's building momentum after last week. He has the talent to be that QB1, but it's going to be tough for him because Cameron Kitchens is just so versatile and so good at disguising his intentions and staying neutral until he has to bite on that play. You know, I think he's one of those guys who, if you're a quarterback, you can kind of lull you into a sense of security and then capitalize on it. North Carolina, to their credit, you know, I think the weapons are starting to come together for them. They've got Nate McCollum, who's been a very good slot receiver for them. Mm-hmm. And they got Devontae Walker back. You know, he's finally that's eligible. Awesome. That's and awesome. And we, we didn't talk way. about that, but that, that's yeah. such an awesome thing because he should have been back for the entire season. And it would have been for a real. lot of fun to see see him back for the whole year and, and just to get that eligibility immediately. But unfortunately, we know how the NCAA operates, and that's just kind of the way that it goes. I'm interested to see how things look for Drake May because – and for me, it kind of all depends on what kind of Leonard Taylor shows up because I got I, I watched the Texas A&M game again because I cover the SEC. Mm-hmm. And so I watched that game and he was he was there, but he wasn't really there. And mm-hmm. I did catch a, a little bit of the Temple game live and I thought that he looked outstanding. So which Leonard Taylor are you going to get against Drake May? Because I do think if you can get that interior pressure and then you have a guy like Cameron Kitchens roaming at the second level in the third level, it could spell disaster for Drake May. And I think, you know, speeding up his clock, pressuring him. Um, we saw him with that absolutely horrendous decision. I can't remember which game it was. It might have been the second or third game of the season where he just tossed it out to the right side. There wasn't even a receiver in the area. He threw it immediately right directly to uh, a cornerback for a pick. So that might have been Minnesota, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Minnesota? Yeah. Yeah. Not a not a good decision. So I want to see the, the continued growth. I want to see him continue to play well. And more than anything, I'm just so excited to watch more college football. College football is something that I haven't gotten a chance to really watch the past couple of years. I've been so focused on watching the NFL side of things. I hadn't been covering the draft until after the NFL season had been over. And so I, I took my Saturdays. And I'm so happy my wife isn't, but I'm so happy that on Saturdays now I get to sit down, put on four or five football games at a time, just like I do on NFL Sunday and watch the chaos that is college football. And that more than anything is why people love college football. It's the pageantry. It's the insanity that you get from this game. If you want to watch good football, watch the NFL. And if you want to watch good football in the NFL, you pretty much have to get a, a a game between two of the top 10 or so teams because there are a lot of bad football teams in the NFL right now. But that's all we got for you guys today. Enjoy. Real quick, real quick. You got Let's, some? Uh, well, first off, I know Cam and Ali are shedding tears somewhere after that speech, so it's good. But real quick, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up with the QBs. Just real quick, rapid fire. Okay. Uh, do you think it's possible that there's movement in the QB1 discussion with Caleb Williams and Drake May after this week? Both guys with statement games. What are you thinking there? Could there be movement? Uh, I don't think the consensus will move yet. I think that you could get the discussion going if Williams has another bad day, another bad decision-making day, and Drake May has a really good day against this Miami defense. I think that the conversation gets a little bit uh, more heated after this week if that happens cool all right man that's what i'm gonna be watching so i'm excited but i just want to get your take on it that's all i got so feel free to send us off
yeah um guys uh send in your questions i don't know if we're going to do a mailbag this upcoming week or the week after um we got to figure out what our schedule is going to look like now that we are doing this once a week but as always thank you guys for listening and always remember that i love you goodbye